0: When you're smiling, hey you! Bubbly sparkling water is crisp, refreshing, and perfect for any occasion. Kind of like my voice, but in a can. No calories, no sweeteners, all smiles. Bubbly. Crack a smile. This episode is brought to you by Google. Google's two step verification was built to secure your account and help prevent cyber attacks, even if your password is compromised. That's why Google has made it easy to sign into your account with this additional layer of protection. Just one tap and you're in. Learn more at safety.google. Hello, movie lovers. Welcome to the best damn movie related show here on the internet. This is your host, as always, for Movie Lovers tonight, John DeGoria. For today's podcast, I'm going to be talking about the 2019 animated movie The Addams Family. This is going to be a non-spoiler review. Then, another non-spoiler review I'm going to be doing is actually a sequel to the 1980s Stanley Kubrick movie and also to Stephen King's book, The Shining. This movie is none other than Doctor Sleep, so I'm going to be doing a non-spoiler review for that. Then, I'm going to be doing Let's Get Sweaty With It. Na-na-na-na-na. And... (laughs) This is actually going to be one of those things that I wanted to talk about for a while. I didn't get a chance to talk about it. So, with that being said, Joker is going to be crossing nearly a billion dollars pretty soon because it's actually made $957 million, which is actually a pretty nice bank for that kind of movie. But, I'm not going to scale my own thunder just yet or anything like that. I want to go on ahead and talk more in detail about that. Then... You know, I've been getting these messages from one of my friends, and one of my friends always gives me some great topics to be able to talk about, and even questions. And one of those questions was, what's one of the saddest movies that I've ever seen? So, either nonfiction or fiction. So, I decided to go with... A non-fi- non-fiction movie. Uh, as a matter of fact, maybe two non-fiction movies, if you think about it. Because one of those movies is Schindler's List, and then the other one is going to be 12 Years a Slave. And those two movies both had an emotional impact on me as a person. So, with that being said, let's go on ahead and get into this Adams Family review. So, as everybody knows, it's about Morticia, Adams, Gomez Adams, Pugsley, and then you have Wednesday Adams, and then Lurch, and the crazy mother, and Uncle Fester. And basically, they all move into this one spooky house. And they love their spooky house and everything. And there's thunder, there's lightning, there's a lot of dark humor in this movie, but they don't cross the border like they did with the PG-13 movie at all. It's, as in matter of fact, this, if you think about it, it kind of reminds you of a Nickelodeon type of animated style type of movie that they actually made. And it's, you can tell that it's specifically just made for kids. But at the same time, there's really nothing there for the adults. Because they're actually the ones who has to carry these kids to go see this movie. And there's nothing there. There's no meat on the bone for the adults to actually enjoy. Because they're having to suffer through an hour and 40 minutes of this movie. But here's the thing. For me, the first couple of minutes actually kind of worked. The dark humor is there. They find humor in certain morbid stuff and things like that. And then, of course... There's also this thing that ends up happening when they move into this town where the dark clouds move away and the mist draws away. And there's this happy-go-lucky woman that comes into town. And as as a matter of fact, it's like a home improvement show is what she's doing. And her goal is to make every single house perfect. And on this show, she wants to do the Adams family because she sees that they have really a messed up house. They see that she's, they're strange and unusual. Not only that, but then you also discover too, that she's actually the main antagonist of this movie. And this to me is very forced in a way, because you actually can tell that they try to force this thing in where she's going to be the main antagonist in the movie. But the way they did it was just not that great. For example, she does build these houses for extreme makeovers. That's what I'm going to basically call it and everybody's happy with their houses and everything but what they what she does is she has everybody on this one app and in this one app she tries to turn the town against the Adams family saying that they're going to end up trying to eat them and other morbid stuff and that's not even true and before you know it, the town winds up getting wing of it thinking that it's actually true when it's not. And now they're targeting the Adams Family. And of course, you also have this other thing that's going on too, where the Adams Family actually has this thing where Pugsley's going to be becoming a man. And to me, this was another thing that I didn't like about it was because it's actually kind of forced because there's no, nothing that Gomez is even trying to help him with. You see a little bit of a, instruction book that Gomez actually gives him but I figured that they would go on ahead and you know you see your kid is struggling with this type of thing where it's a tradition in the family and he's not even there physically helping the kid at all that much and you know and it's all basically just a setup for something that's actually going to happen later on in the movie but even then as it as it progressed on that part, I just didn't feel like there was a need to actually have that. I'd rather it just be on the spooky feeling itself with them joking about the morbid stuff and things like that. but what actually does work is the fact that there's a the stream homemaker woman actually has a daughter and she's pretty much so, like well, you know she's actually a happy-go-lucky kid or whatever. And stuff like that. She's mostly don't, she doesn't dress in dark clothes or anything like that. While Wednesday dresses in morbid clothes and has this dark humor about her. But it's kind of like they did a little bit of a reverse thing about how to take off your parents. And it's a good adolescence thing because Wednesday also attends a junior high school. And she's trying to figure out how to actually fit in with the school. But at the same time, she doesn't really like the school. But the only friend that she has is a girl from the Extreme Makeover. And then they realize they have some things in common and they wind up becoming friends. But this is what I loved about it was the fact that, you know, Wednesday goes on ahead and does something the exact opposite of what Morticia finds as horrifying, which is dressing in pink clothes, dressing up in anything besides black. While you also have the extreme makeover mother, who always dressed her kids in clothes that are bright and stuff like that. And and instead, her kid does a total 360 And she winds up with gothic clothes, stuff like that. And she just does not like it. She does not understand it. And she doesn't want her to be hanging out with Wednesday because she thinks she's a bad influence and stuff like that. But those were the only two characters that I actually felt a connection with. Because, you know, as a teenager and stuff like that, you're going through some stuff. You actually want to be able to try and fit in with a certain group or whatever or try and take off your parents as much as you can. And that's actually something that adolescence does, and they actually captured that kind of magic with Wednesday and this girl, and that to me actually worked. Her character and also the chemistry between her and that character actually worked. Another thing I liked was what Merticia, whenever she finds when her when Wednesday winds up finding a balloon that happens to uh, float up in the air, and Wednesday brings it in. It's a red balloon just. Well, I'm kind of depressed. That Whenever I see a red balloon, there's usually a, a clown that wants to eat you. And that's a great reference towards Pennywise. And that line actually worked. I actually chuckled a little bit on that one scene. But it just feels in the humor. It feels in the storyline and the development and everything. The characters didn't get fleshed out the way that, that they needed to be fleshed out. I really didn't really care for this movie that much. As a matter of fact, I had low expectations going in. Which, you know, it can be a good thing for me because, don't forget, there's certain movies that i actually seen with low expectations like Edge of Tomorrow and I winded up loving it. And the same thing with a couple of other movies I've seen. But it didn't exceed any expectations. It was just, eh. I can go on ahead and red box this if I want to or do without it. I don't need to go back and rewatch The Addams Family. I can go back and re-watch the, uh, the 90s Addams Family movies and be completely happy and do away with this animated movie. But still, if you like this movie, let me know. I'm kind of curious about what you guys actually think about this Addams Family movie. But for me, it just didn't work. It was just like one of those cut-and-dry type of movies just designed for the kids. Even the kids in the theater, I didn't really feel like they were actually enjoying the movie that much. I didn't didn't hear any chuckles that much. But I could be wrong on that certain aspect. But still, I just feel like some of it was just very flat. So now, I'm going to talk about Doctor Sleep. This is actually the sequel to Stanley Kubrick's 1980s most hated film that Stephen King... ...didn't even like from his adapted book of The Shining because of the fact... ...well, I'm not even going to get into that much detail because I actually did a review on that... ...but he didn't feel like the Jack Tolerance character got fleshed out the way he wanted to get fleshed out with his story arc. Now, I only read a couple of pages from the actual book itself and I have to say this... ...for a book adaptation from the first chapter is very spot on with when Danny is little... Because when Danny is little, you actually see that ghost from 273. And she's inside the bathtub. And she's actually there. And Danny's scared to death of this ghost that's followed them from the Overlook. As a matter of fact, that's where the whole plot line kind of comes in at a little bit. Where you have these ghosts that actually followed him from the o- Overlook. Or they came attached to him from the Overlook. And then, of course, you also have... The cook from the kitchen trying to explain to him what he can do to conquer his fear with these ghosts. And the way they do it on this film is perfectly well done. Because don't forget, in the Stanley Kubrick movie, he actually died. In the book, he didn't die at all. And there's also another thing too where the overlook actually blows up in the, in the, in the book. In the movie, it's still standing. So there's that little bit of a difference in the adaptations but as far as Danny's story arc goes if you were dis- if Stephen King was disappointed in the way Jack's story arc was where he came from an abusive family where he came from alcoholism where he came from where his father beat his mother up and was abusive towards his mother and stuff like that you you can't go wrong with Danny's story arc because he actually winds up being an exact copy of what Jack did, because he's going with he, he's drunk. When he's older, he's drunk. Not only that, but he's also dealing with drugs. He's dealing with depression. He's a scared. He's even scared of these ghosts are attached to him and everything else. So I believe that his alcoholism. I believe that's also another cause of it. Is where he's actually trying to smother that whole entire thing where he doesn't want to see the ghost or anything like that that's lurking lurking with him. But he goes into this little town, and I have to say the guy who plays his friend in this movie is very well done. And I love that, you know, nobody really trusts Danny at a certain standpoint at, when he first arrives. And as the years go by and everything, and... He winds up becoming sober again. He winds up becoming sober 8 years. He dedicates the the medal and everything to his dad, which is awesome because Jack wanted to be sober for his kid and everything and that was taken away from him because of the overlook. And I love that aspect because it's plain homage to the book itself. So they kind of did a flip where you have Danny who's actually doing a portrayal of what Jack wanted. And it's also being betrayed the way the book was. So, I can actually see aspects of Jack in this character when he got older. And then they did a whole entire 360 with that. Another thing, too, is they actually explained The Shining a little bit better in this movie, too. Compared to what they did in the 1980s movie. But, another thing, too, is you actually have the ghost of the... Like I said, of the cook. Explaining to him, look, you have to teach somebody else at a certain time and point what The Shining is and try and protect them. And Danny is like, no, I don't want to go on ahead and protect them or anything like that. I'll never teach them. So, you know, he's kind of like the Obi-Wan of The Shining in a certain sense because there's this other girl who has a bigger shine than what Danny has. And this one woman, and let me just tell you this, Rebecca Ferguson in this movie as Rose the Hat she does such a great job at just bringing that certain level of depth to to that character where she's haunting, she's memorizing. She's actually someone to actually look for and stand out in this movie because she's really horrifying. Because, here's the thing, she has a group, I, I'm going to call it a group of gypsies in a way because of the fact what they do is they capture other people who have shines and then they eat their shines by killing them and as they're breathing out their last breaths that's how they eat the shine so that part is actually horrifying but anyways danny winds up meeting this girl this teenage girl who has a bigger shine than he does and he can actually feel her, her presence a whole lot more than what he ever felt before and not only that but she also witnessed rebecca ferguson's character the hat And killing this girl, this guy, well, this boy who has the shine. And, you know, and she's actually witnessing it firsthand, seeing visions of what's going on. And then Rebecca Ferguson's character can actually see her and knows that she has a bigger shine, which means that she can feed off that life force. Her and these group of people can feed off these life forces. Another thing, too, is she also has... This other uh, person that actually gets introduced in the first few minutes of the movie, too, where she can basically tell someone to go to sleep, they'll go to sleep, and then she winds up taking their money and stuff like that, and then instead of her feeding off that life, Re- Re- Rebecca Ferguson feeding off that life force, she winds up turning her, and now she's feeding off of other people's life force. And everything. So the way they could survive. Because that's the only way to eat and survive. Is through somebody else's life force. Which I thought that was an actually pretty interesting thing to actually happen. I'm going to be honest with you though too. I wasn't sure at first where they were going with certain things. It felt kind of slow at first. It was like a slow burn. But once you get into the middle of this film. Once you actually understand how these characters actually connect. And how they actually go well together. This movie does not slow down. It goes Back over to the Overlook, Danny has this bu- this buku of creepiness in his head. And whenever it's unleashed onto Rebecca Ferguson, you better watch out. And not only that, but you also have to wake up these ghosts inside the, this hotel. So he's back over there again, recreating everything that happened in The Shining and stuff like that. And I'm just going to tell you this. The ending to this movie is just perfectly well done. Perfectly well executed. And it, like I said, it pays homage to the book on the way it ended. I'm not going to tell you how it ends. How the book ended. But let's just say Jack was supposed to do something. Or the ghost that was controlling Jack was supposed to do something. And that something didn't happen in the movie. In this one, Danny is also being controlled and something was uh, happened, and it ended up doing a whole entire complete switch. So I love the switch with that. I love the whole entire story arc of Danny, a way he came addicted to drugs and alcohol, and followed his dad's legacy, if you will, because of being because of his dad having the alcoholism, being abusive towards his mother, and also too. Jack also was witnessing his own father beating the crap out of his mother as well. Being getting the crap beat of his mother by his dad. So, you know, you have two things hand in hand going on that Danny can... That happened to Danny in a certain sense when you're looking at it. But all in all, this movie is very well executed, perfectly well done. I can't say one bad thing about this. Every actor and actress actually brought their A game to this movie and stuff like that. And like I said, Rebecca Ferguson is actually the standout in this thing besides Edwin McGregor. I love Edwin McGregor and just about anything, but you actually have to give her credit for where credit is due. Because once you see this movie, she is just beautifully well and well talented and You know, especially another thing, too, that winds up happening. I'm actually going to give you a little bit of a small detail of what happens. But the girl who has the bigger shine can actually get into her head. And it freaks her out because no other person that has a shine could get into her head. She was always able to get in other people's heads and stuff like that. But to have someone else to get into her head freaked her out to the point where it scared her. And then she also laid out a trap for Rebecca Ferguson as well. I'm, I'm going on way too deep with this. But all in all, check out Dr. Sleep. I think that you're going to enjoy this movie. It's actually a re- great redemption story to Stanley Kubrick's movie. If you didn't like Stanley Kubrick's version of The Shining, I think you're going to love it. And I don't blame Stephen King one bit for loving this movie for what it is. As a matter of fact, you know, we haven't had that many great book adaptations of, of a Stephen King movie, besides what we got with the remake with It. It Chapter Two was okay, and everything, I liked it, but it wasn't just as good as what It Chapter One was, but it was still an enjoyable movie, so therefore I can't really complain about that, because I did like the movie, I thought it was okay, but, other than that, though, we just really haven't had that home run yet until now with this casting choice with Edwin McGregor and Rebecca, Rebecca Ferguson, and, you know, and Doctor Sleep is one of those movies that I would actually strongly recommend on the big screen to check out. And not only that, but they even do the flashback scenes with The Shining. There, There is Stanley Kubrick-isms in this movie as well, where you see young Danny going through the floors and stuff like that, of the Overlook. You actually see the scary twins in this movie. You actually see the blood coming out of the elevator. You get a lot of Stanley Kubrick-isms in this movie itself. So it actually feels like a Shining movie, but it also relies on its own themes rather than focusing on The Shining. So, check out The Shining. I don't, uh, not The Shining, but Dr. Sleep, or check out The Shining if you haven't seen the Shining and you go into this movie you might be wondering, okay, why do I care about the Overlook? Why do I care about Danny? Why do I care about his story arc? Check out The Shining first and then watch Doctor Sleep, then you'll appreciate it a lot more. But all in all, check it out. Now, I'm going to talk about The Joker, crossing nearly 1 billion dollars. Now, I'm going to be honest with you about something. If you haven't followed me for a while, I was really negative Towards the makeup, the direction that it was going in. I was excited at first when I heard the, the news breaking down. Because I'm like, okay, I can actually picture this as a separate comic book universe. Without it being connected in with the DCEU, I was sold on that aspect. Because it would be like me picking up another comic where it doesn't connect with anything else. I was sold. Then I saw the makeup. I saw everything that came out. And I trash-talked the heck out of it. Then, the more trailers that I saw, and the more that I just let it marinate a little bit with me, I'm like, you know what? There's just something to this Joker movie that I really want to check out. And I'm glad that I did check it out. I'm glad that I did, because I I saw this movie twice. And I fell in love with this movie each time I watched it. And for crossing one billion dollars... It's just amazing to me. This thing was very controversial when it came out. You had the people protesting against it because of the fact that people in Colorado didn't want this movie to be shown. You also had the people at the Academy not wanting to view it because of the violence or the graphic violence in this movie. I've seen more graphic violence from other movies like John Wick, for example, compared to what the graphic violence was in the Joker movie. And to me, that was a stupid reason to actually not want to review, do your job as an Academy Award type of uh, judge. Because that's not fair to the people that actually made this movie. If you feel uncomfortable with judging a certain movie because of the fact that it made you feel uncomfortable, you need to go on ahead and find yourself another place to judge. Because you have no business at being an Oscar judge at all. Because your job is there to watch every single movie and pick out the movies that actually stand out to you for those choices to be nominated. And for you to do that to the Joker movie is not right at all. You're destroying somebody else's art. You're taking time away from what, they, what they've done. And I don't like it. <laughs> but aside from the controversial stuff, aside from me being negative about it and loving it now... You have to you, you have to say this. It's a the movie was really good. And it, get this, it was actually sixty two point five million to make. It made nine hundred and fifty seven million. It suppressed the likes of profitable comic book based films such as Venom, which made eight hundred and fifty-four million with a ninety million dollar budget. Tim Burton's Batman, 1989's Batman, which made four hundred and eleven million with a thirty-five million dollar budget. Then it also suppressed Deadpool, which is actually the one number one movie during the Valentine's Day weekend, and it made one uh, hundred eighty three million with a fifty eight million dollar budget. And then TMN, TMNT, the nineteen eighty nine or eighty eight version, made two hundred million dollars with a thirteen point five million dollar budget, and then Jim Carrey's The Mask. $351 million it made with a $23 million budget. So it goes to show you that you can actually make a lot more bank when you're doing smaller budgeting than you can with a $150 million budget. That was the biggest problem with Superman as well, Batman versus Superman, where you have a $150 million budget, and it's hard to actually maintain a $150 million dollar budget, especially whenever the critics were actually split down the middle with it and also film fans as well. They didn't know what to actually think of B- uh, Batman versus Superman or anything like that. And by the, and not only that, but the word of mouth wasn't even that great. So it didn't even make its money back. It's easier to just go ahead and make a $23 million budget or make it less than that. And you can actually make bank and make money on top of that. Which is why the Joker movie was successful. Was because of the positive word of mouth. Because of the critic reviews. And also because of the positive word of mouth with film fans and also comic book fans as well of the Joker and how well it was perceived. So no wonder why it made that much money. And then everybody's talking about the fact that, you know, with Avengers Endgame, they're like, well, you know, that's just one movie. Well, that's all you need is one movie. Because it's hard to actually suppress or bypass a all the other movies with in the marvel universe if you think about it so them almost passing the billion dollar mark and going towards the end game i'm all for it and i think that it's also a good thing you know because you actually have two successful comic book based movies facing off against each other to me there shouldn't be no split on which one's the better film or anything like that because we're all comic book fans within the same community. And to see two comic book based movies actually succeeding in the, in the year is is great. It, sh- we should celebrate that instead of putting a split between the two of us. But, you know, if you guys are Marvel or DC's fanboys, that's fine. But I'm both. I love Marvel and DC films. And to actually see this type of movie... And it's also own separate entity away from the DCEU being successful. That's something to celebrate. And then also, like I mentioned before, yeah, Endgame was just one movie. And yes, DC couldn't, is not going to be going on ahead and trying to compete against the whole entire franchise. Because that's hard to do, is to go ahead and compete against the whole franchise of Marvel movies. And for them to go on ahead and suppress Endgame, that's fantastic. I think it's a great thing to actually have. And I'm happy for the Joker movie. I'm happy at the way that things worked out for it. Now, for the question of the day. my Now, I picked two movies for my heartbreaking movies. And these are the one movies that I only watched one time because of the emotional impact that it had on me. And that's Schindler's List and 12 Years of Slave. Schindler's List is dealing with World War II within the concentration camps of... What Hitler did to the Jews and stuff like that. And you know what? This even goes back into my world history class when I was since my sophomore year of high school. It's just so sad and devastating to see someone that's actually a piece of crap that did this to somebody and hurt people just because they're Jews and something, and just because they're different from everybody else. Hitler was just a, I'm just going to call it what it is. He was an asshole. That's nowhere, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. And to see him torture these Jews. To see them what he did to them. It's just sad, devastating, and everything else. And then you also have the most saddest scene. I still remember this scene. You have this little girl. I'm getting a little teary right now thinking about it. But you have this girl that's standing out in the middle of everything. And you're thinking it's snowing. And, you know... She's over there feeling. She puts her hand up to the sky. And she catches it. And you think that she's catching a snowflake. No. That was not a snowflake. That was them. Burning Jewish people. And that just devastated me. And broke me. Down to see a monster. Do this to somebody. And. To do this to human people, it just breaks my heart to know that this was done. And, you know, the thing about history is it always repeats itself. And I hope to God that, that this doesn't repeat itself. Because it, it'll be a sad time when something like this happens. But, you know, with history too, because I'm a huge history buff, is the fact that, you know... If we don't go and review what our history is. And what we did. We'll forget about our history. And to me that is the dangerous thing. Is forgetting history in itself. And I'd rather go on ahead. And remember certain events that happened in history. But another thing too that actually breaks my heart. And like I said before. Schindler's List is right up there with me. For heartbreaking movies. And I only saw this movie once. And once was enough for me. Steven Spielberg brought out everything on this movie and it will just bring you to tears where you will wear you down by the end of the movie and it just makes you wonder what was Hitler even thinking or if he wasn't even thinking at all but if you want to see this movie I strongly recommend it and like I said this movie is Schindler's List and then of course 12 Years a Slave which won the best picture Award back in twenty thirteen or twenty fourteen, I believe, and this is also one of those other things that is not is another thing about slavery, where you have these people that are slaves and they're wanting to be free, they wanting to have their own lives and everything, and the abuse and the impact that white people. I am just gonna put it down like this because I am a white person or whatever. In that in those times were crappy people and shitty people, matter of fact, but. You know, it is what it is. This is just history. And I really wish that this didn't happen either. Because it's just sad and devastating that something like this happened. And the fact that, you know, you still have racism going on today. And I don't like to see any type of racism going on. I can't stand the n-word. I can't stand for people to be cruel to each other. I can't stand for certain people to act the way they do. Because of how cruel they are. We can all be better people if we wind up just not being shitty people. But, you know, just because I'm not a crappy person or a shitty person. Doesn't mean that other, the other people in the world are going to be this, feeling the same way that I do. And, you know, I, I'm just going to say this. The 12 Years of Slave movie brought me down to my knees. And just made me bawl. Because of the fact that... How much of an emotional impact it had on me. And not only that. But you can even feel the pain. You can feel the heartache. You can feel all the raw and, and emotion. Dealing with slavery. During that time. Especially when you hear that whip. Going across someone's back. And just whipping them for no apparent reason. And everything else. Just utter hate. For people. You just don't do that to people. Same thing with Schindler's List. And... Stuff like that, you know, you just don't do that kind of thing. But anyways, those are my two movies that have an emotional impact on me. Excuse me. But I hope you, uh, you guys enjoyed this segment and everything. And I'm going to be doing a lot more questions, a lot more topics. So if you guys have a topic or a question that you want to send in, send it in. We I actually take voicemail ma- calls and everything, and I do listen to them. So check, th- check that out. Or you can go on ahead and message us at on our Facebook page and everything as well. And I'll go on ahead, and I'll put that in for the next podcast episode. So anyways, as always, stay safe. And until next time, bye-bye.